Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, September 29th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. Across the planet, one million people have now died from the coronavirus pandemic, as health officials here in the U.S. are warning of a possible new surge. The New York Times continuing its investigation into President Trump's taxes, revealing massive debt and potential dangers to national security. And President Trump will take on former Vice President Joe Biden tonight in Cleveland, Ohio, for their first debate. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with this. The New York Times continues to reveal details from its investigation into President Trump's financial dealings. Trump's reality TV show, The Apprentice, gave him new sources of cash and business. Andrea Linares has more on the controversy. The New York Times revealing more stunning details into President Trump's finances. Tax records the president has refused to release show when his reality TV show The Apprentice debuted in 2004, President Trump had clocked in almost 90 million in losses from his core businesses. But the paper says he still went on to earn $197 million from the hit show. That led to hundreds of millions more in lucrative endorsement and licensing deals. Everything from Domino's Pizza and Oreos to laundry detergents and Serta mattresses. And he raked in $300,000 for speeches where attendees paid thousands to hear the secrets of wealth. Even with all this additional income, The Times reports the president still seriously struggled to stay out of the red. It's totally fake news, made up fake. And then used his losses and questionable deductions to drive down his tax bill, paying zero federal income taxes in 11 out of 18 years they examined, and just $750 in the year he won the White House and in 2017. He has created the first grifter presidency in the history of the United States, in which his purpose in running for the presidency and exercising the powers of the presidency the fundamental reason is to bail himself and his family out. It shows in policy. Now, this is an issue on the minds of voters. The latest polling in Georgia before the news broke showed the race between Trump and Joe Biden a dead heat. So how are voters in that state judging Trump now? Um, the man, the man is not perfect. I know that I'm not perfect. But uh, I think he's accomplished a whole lot. I just think that's wonderful. I work very hard at trying to pay as little taxes as is legal. However, others are furious and say Mr. Trump is no financial genius. We have a lot of immigrants in this country that work very hard for such little money, for such long hours, and they pay their taxes. The president taking to Twitter, accusing the Times of obtaining his tax information illegally and insisting that he paid millions of dollars in taxes but was entitled, like everyone else, to depreciation and tax credits. The New York Times denies Trump's tax information was obtained illegally. And just in case you're curious to know, roughly half of Americans pay no federal income taxes, but the average income tax paid in 2017 was nearly $12,200, according to the IRS. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. 
Thank you, Andrea, for that report. Meanwhile, President Trump and Joe Biden are preparing for their first debate tonight in Ohio. The key issues, the economy and the pandemic. Janet Rodriguez has the latest live from Cleveland. Janet. Right, the stage is set here in Cleveland for this first presidential debate and with very strong COVID restrictions. The podiums are more than six feet apart. No handshakes will be allowed amongst the candidates and uh, Chris uh, Wallace, the host from Fox News, who will be moderating tonight's conversation. There will be no opening remarks and it will go right into the questionings as President Trump will take the first question. Now, President Trump has said that he hasn't formally sat down to practice for this debate, that his practice has come from talking to the media on a day-to-day -day basis and doing his job every day. Vice President Biden, on the other hand, has taken time away from the campaign trail to prepare for tonight. And he comes in leading in the polls. President Trump has been trailing uh, sometimes by double digits, especially in some of the key state battleground states and among Latinos, as we saw in our Univision polls. Now, for tonight, the topics of conversation will be the pandemic of course, COVID-19, also the Supreme Court, race and violence. And we do expect for Chris Wallace to bring up the breaking news of the past 48 hours, which is President Trump's finances, those to be a hot topic of the night as well. Now, what will happen inside? Well, there will be a small crowd. We thought at the beginning that there will be no one present, but we saw the setup yesterday. We have been told that about 100 people will be present, mostly uh, university executives. They all would have been tested and they have to test negative, of course, to be able to be inside and present everyone will be required to wear a mask. The only ones who will not be doing so will be the president, Vice President Joe Biden and the host. And uh, it will be a night to remember. We understand that the president is coming ready to attack Joe Biden. Joe Biden is coming ready to set his platform clear to talk about policy instead of politics. And uh, this will be the first of three presidential debates to come, but one for sure that many are saying maybe for the history books. Back to you. Thank you, Janet, for that report from Ohio. In other election news, the widow of GOP Senator John McCain is joining Joe Biden's transition team. Cindy McCain announced her endorsement of Biden last week. Now, McCain says she will bring her experience as a businesswoman, philanthropist, and a longtime advocate for women and children. Meanwhile, in Florida, police have released body cam video showing the arrest of former Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale. The video shows officers throwing him to the ground outside his home in Fort Lauderdale on Sunday. He can be heard saying over and over that he didn't do anything. Police went to his house after his wife reported that he was threatened to kill himself. He is now in custody. Back in June, he was demoted from his job after the Trump rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but he still has a senior position on the president's team. And now to the latest on the pandemic, the planet reaching the grim milestone of one million people dead due to COVID-19. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., the president promising rapid testing. Lorraine Casares has more details. 
Eight months into the pandemic and the world today, waking up to more than a million lives lost to coronavirus. One of the biggest challenges we have is that some people just don't believe that this is a serious disease, even to this day. As a second wave starts to make its way through some countries, drug makers and scientists working hard to find a vaccine that helps humanity fight back. The U.S., the country with the most recorded cases, preparing for a possible surge in the fall winter. President announcing Monday plans to distribute 150 million rapid tests across the country in the coming weeks. 18 million for nursing homes, 15 million for assisted living facilities, 10 million for home health and hospice care agencies, and nearly 1 million for historically black colleges and universities and also tribal nation colleges. Experts warning a lot more is needed to really make a difference. Probably not enough. We need a lot more. I would rather see 150 million a day, not a month. We need to be close to a time when everybody in America can have a rapid test for free from the government to test their family. Meanwhile, children heading back to school as a new study by the American Academy of Pediatrics and Children's Health Association done by looking at a five-month period between April and September reveals a dramatic increase in the number of diagnosed cases among children. The data showing pediatric COVID cases rose from 2.2% of all COVID-19 cases Cases reported nationwide in April to 10% in September. A former member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force now speaking publicly, saying President Trump pushed the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to downplay the risks of COVID-19 when it comes to opening schools. This was an effort, you know, at times where I would get blindsided, where there would be junior staffers being tasked to find different data for charts that would show that the virus wasn't as bad for certain populations, ages, or demographics. He told the governors, you know, you need to open, you need to open the schools. You need to, you know, try to make it seem like everything's okay when in reality it's not. And I think it's because this response has been so broken along the way that it was anything to tell anything but the truth. And at a time where medical experts are calling to a stop of the politicization of science during this pandemic, a survey by Pew Research Center is revealing only 38% of U.S. adults have a lot of trust that scientists will do what's right for the country. Back to you, Carolina. Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. Now, Thanksgiving is usually the first big holiday where families come together, but the CDC wants fewer in-person gatherings this year. The agency says staying home is the best way to protect yourself and others from the virus. If you do travel, the CDC believes you need to know the increased risk of getting and spreading the virus. The CDC also has suggestions for Black Friday. They say people should avoid going shopping at crowded stores and participating in a race for deals. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi introduced a scaled-down version of the coronavirus relief bill, a last effort to bring relief to Americans before the elections. Edwin Pitti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Carolina, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and the Secretary of the Treasury Department, Stephen Mnuchin, have been speaking for the last couple of days. They did it yesterday, the same day where the Speaker of the House, Pelosi, presented a new proposal as the coronavirus relief package. We're talking about a $2.2 trillion stimulus package. That is $1.2 less than what Pelosi had proposed 
before. Now, a couple of minutes ago, she was asked if she would be willing to bring in down the price tag of this bill, and she said that she supports anything that meets the needs of the American people. And according to Pelosi, that's exactly what her new proposal brings. We're talking about that would include a second round of checks for $1,200 for individuals in the United States. Also, it will restore the unemployment benefit. We're talking about the $600 uh, check weekly that people with no jobs would get right now and that would be extended until January. Also, a $225 billion fund for schools and also 25 for the U.S. Postal Office, something very important for Democrats as they are predicting that millions of Americans will be voting through the mail on before November 3rd. Also, another fund of $436 billion for emergency aid for states and local governments. That should be an issue right there in the negotiation, Carolina, because neither the White House or uh, Republicans in the Senate want to give money for states at this point. And it's very unlikely that this uh, bill will see the light in the Senate because for the uh, Republicans in there, they don't agree with that at all because right now their priority continues to be the election and also the confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett as a new justice in the Supreme Court. Live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. Thank you for that report, Edwin Pitin. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. As the election season continues, the different options for those who want to cast their ballots could be making the voting process a bit confusing. Andrew Peña has details of what voters can expect this time around. Voting in person at a polling location during a pandemic is undoubtedly a big dilemma for voters who feel more obligation to fulfill their commitment to a participatory democracy without getting infected. Despite precautions being taken by authorities, the risk of contracting coronavirus is real. These are my first elections for president. I hope by November there will be not any risk with COVID-19 because I want to vote in person to be sure my vote counts. The poll workers will be ready with their masks on, with gloves on, and will be disinfecting areas frequently. And when the voters arrive, they will be given hand sanitizer and, of course, the social distancing with six feet of distance. Early voting has been one of the options that many Americans have chosen for this peculiar electoral contest. According to the U.S. Elections Project, directed by the University of Florida, through September 26, at least 866,734 people have voted early. For the 2016 election, only 9,525 people had voted in advance. The figures also show that 53.9% of these early voters are Democrats and 16.7% are Republicans. Among the states that have requested absentee ballots, the most are Florida, Iowa, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. Another option that the electorate has is voting by mail, but President Trump has continually questioned the legitimacy of this process, a claim that has not been supported by any significant evidence, but that may have repercussions as citizens weigh whether it's worth taking a risk on November 3rd. 
Reported by Galo Arellano from Miami, this is Andrew Pena, U News. Close to 18 million Americans with past convictions are eligible to vote, but many of them are not aware. Lack of information and confusing state laws are to blame. Joining me now by phone to talk about this is Blair Bowie. She's a voting rights expert for Campaign Legal Center. Thank you so much for your time, Blair. Hi, Carolina. Thank you for having me. Now, a number of states have restored the right to vote for those who have been in prison. Why is this so controversial? Yeah, that, you're absolutely right. The majority of people who have passed felony convictions can vote. Um, and it's important to know that a lot of the laws that do or have in the past prevented people with felonies from voting have really old roots, and most of them were actually put in place after the Civil War as Jim Crow laws, and they were directly intended to take the right to vote away from black people. Now, in the century that's passed since then, attitudes have changed, and now overwhelmingly Americans feel that a person who has completed their sentence and paid their debt to society should be allowed to vote again and be a productive member of society. Now, in Florida, the legislature imposed financial barriers to restoring felons' voting rights. Can you talk to us about what's happening in that state in Florida? Yeah, so in Florida, in, back in 2018, um, advocates of restoring the right to vote had a massive victory. Um, people who, a movement led by mostly formerly incarcerated folks, people with felony convictions, overwhelmingly passed a ballot initiative um, Florida voters approved that by almost two-thirds of the vote. And that said that once you've completed your sentence, including probation and parole, um, you know, you're back in society, you're a taxpayer, you're a part of your community, you should be allowed to vote. Unfortunately, the Florida legislature pared down that victory by saying, actually, you, actually, you also have to pay off all your fines, fees, and restitution. And that's a really insurmountable barrier to a lot of people in Florida. Um, so there was a court battle over this, and it's really been quite confusing for folks who are trying to figure out if they can vote over the last year since then. Um, but here's what's important to know. Here's what folks should know now. A person who has a felony conviction in Florida can register and vote if they've done three things. So first, if they've completed their sentence, including probation and parole. Second, if they don't owe or have paid off any fines, fees, and restitution on that felony conviction. And third, as long as they were not convicted of murder or a sexual felony. So if they meet all of those criteria, then they are eligible to register and vote. Now, is there a nationwide or federal effort to restore the voting rights of those who have been in jail nationwide? Across the country, there is a big push to restore, these, to restore people's rights and roll back some of these more difficult laws. A lot of eyes have been on Florida and um, the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, which is the group that initially passed that ballot initiative that restored voting rights to Floridians, has actually raised a lot of money to help people who meet all the criteria to be able to vote again, except that they can't pay off their fines, fees, and restitution to help pay off those debts so that if those people want to vote, they can. Um, but it's really important that anyone who, anyone in Florida who is being held back from voting because they owe fines, fees, and restitution contacts the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition so that they can get those paid off so that they can vote if they'd like to. 
And people can do that by going to floridarc.com slash fines. Perfect. Thank you so much, Blair Bowie of the Advocacy Organization Campaign Legal Center for your time today. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.